Well, good morning, everybody. It is such a joy and a blessing uh, to be here uh, with you guys today, especially a joy and a blessing to be here in this place, a real gift from God, and uh, I just cannot wait to see what God does uh, through you in this place over this next year. It's going to be amazing to watch. Now, um, as Heather said, we are in this series called A Rising Tide. And uh, we're talking about this idea of accountability. And again, as Heather said, this idea that, that in the church, we're all supposed to be more like Jesus, right? That's our mission, to look, live, and love more like Jesus. But that doesn't happen alone. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. We always say there are no Lone Ranger Christians because we're, we're here to do this together. Uh, God has blessed us with one another. And as we help one another, we all together rise uh, to be more like Jesus. Um, now, uh, they did this thing a number of years ago called the marshmallow test. I don't know if you've heard about this. Have you heard this? So here's what they did. They took a bunch of little kids and, uh, and they put them in a, in a room, normally by themselves, maybe with a brother or sister. Um, and then they put in front of each kid one marshmallow. And they said, now I'm going to leave the room and uh, you can eat that marshmallow anytime you want. It's yours. You can eat it whenever you want. But I'm going to be gone for 15 minutes, and when, and when I come back, if you haven't eaten the marshmallow, I'm going to give you a second one. You get two marshmallows. So if you're just willing to wait 15 minutes, you can have two, or you can eat one right now. And uh, this is what happened. Let's watch. half of it already. <laughs> so in the, in the first time they did this test, about a third of the kids were actually not able to wait. They just ate the marshmallow and they're like, all right, one now, that's fine. I don't need two, right? But about two thirds of the kids waited. But here's the interesting thing. They repeated the test about a year later. And this time they told the kids you can eat the marshmallow now, you get two in 15 minutes, and by the way, we're going to tell your teacher how long you waited. And you know what happened? A lot more kids waited a lot longer when they found out their teacher was going to know. But here's the really cool thing. Some of the kids, they didn't tell them your teacher, they said, we're going to tell your friends how long you waited. Guess what? Almost all of them waited for the second marshmallow. Isn't that amazing? You see, as human beings, there is something in us that needs accountability. That, that when we know people in authority in our lives are going to know, that helps. But when we know our peers are going to know, it makes a huge difference in our lives. 
Now, uh, last week, Mike started this series, and he talked a little bit about what contracts looked like in the Bible. Now, I was trying to think of, uh, you know, a contract kind of situation in my life, and the closest thing I could think of is going to the title company to sign the papers for your house. Now, I guess you don't really do that like now anymore, especially during COVID, or you don't have to do that now. You can, you know, e-docu-sign or whatever that is and stuff like that. But, but the last time when Betty and I bought a house, we went, we had to sit in a room with the sellers and with the real estate agents and with our attorney, and we had to sign and sign and sign and sign, right? And we had to bring a check with us and all that kind of stuff, right? And, uh, and, and basically what you're saying is, and, and when you think about it, the biggest contract you're entering into when you sign a mortgage is with your your lender, right, with the bank, and, uh, and the bank is promising they're going to do some things. The bank is promising we're going to pay for this house for you right now, and the bank is promising we're going to collect your um, escrow money for, and we're going to pay your taxes, and, and uh, we're going to pay your homeowner's insurance and stuff like that, and you're promising you're going to pay your mortgage every month, right? And, and basically, there's stuff written into those contracts that says what happens if you don't hold up your end of the bargain. It, you're going to be held accountable. So if I stop writing checks for our mortgage every month, there's consequences for that. Something is going to happen, right? Well, last week, Mike told us what contracts looked like in the Bible back in Abraham's day. And what contracts looked like then is they would take sacrificial animals and they would put the carcasses on either side of a path. Um, half on each side, and then they would walk between those together, um, the people that were entering into this contract, and basically what they were saying to each other is, if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, you can hold me accountable, you can do to me what's been done to these animals, if I don't do what I promised to do. That's a lot more intimidating than signing mortgage contracts, isn't it? But then... Mike told you this amazing thing about God's covenant with Abraham. When God had made that covenant with Abraham, he had made Abraham fall into a, a, a sleep, and, and he showed him this vision of God by himself going between those halves of animals. And, and what God was saying to Abraham is, I want you to hold me accountable. You can do to me what's been done to these animals if I don't keep my promise to you, Abraham. Notice Abraham didn't walk with him. Abraham was a spectator. And, and that's because what God was actually saying was, not only can you do to me what's been done to these animals, Abraham, if I don't keep my end of the bargain, he was saying, God, you can do to me, or you saying, Abraham, you can do to me what's been done to these animals if you don't keep your end of the bargain. In other words, God was saying, I'm going to be accountable for my own actions. And God was saying, I love you so much, Abraham, I'm going to be accountable for your actions. I mean, imagine the bank saying, hey, if we don't pay your taxes or your escrow on time, there's going to be penalties. We, we're going to owe you money. And if you don't pay your mortgage on time, we're going to owe you money. Wait, what? And of course, Abraham didn't hold up his end of the bargain. <laughs> And we don't hold up our end of the bargain. And, and the fact is, God was willing to be accountable for when we fail through Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example of accountability. Jesus went to the cross, but not for his mistakes, for our mistakes, for our failures. He gave his life because we screwed up. 
he was the ultimate example of accountability. Now, with all that in mind, uh, let's talk a little bit more about what accountability looks like in our lives. And we want to take a look at the early church. We heard this verse, uh, read, and we read it together just a little bit ago about what happened in that early church. Now, I want you to imagine something. It, it, when the day that Jesus dies and rises again, uh, we, we think if we're counting right and, and looking at the numbers right in the Bible, there's about 150 followers of Jesus, at least there in Jerusalem. Now, that's a lot of people, but but it's nothing like what happened the day after Pentecost, like we just read, when all of a sudden there were 3,000 new believers. I mean, imagine if next Sunday 3,000 people showed up here for worship. First of all, praise God, that would be awesome, right? <laughs> yeah, that would be, we'd be out in the parking lot because that's the only way we're fit. That'd be awesome. But, but how, do you, how do you keep 3,000 people accountable? How do you help 3,000 people grow to be more like Jesus every day? We, we would have to scramble. And, uh, and, and so what did they do in the early church with that? Well, it said a couple of things. First of all, I want you to note one of the things it said. It said they were together and had everything in common. Literally, in the original translation here, it says they were of one heart. In other words, they were, they were living life together. Church wasn't just a thing they showed up for an hour on Sunday and then they went about their normal daily lives with no other contact with their church family the rest of the week. They were doing life together. They, they, they were of one heart. They had everything in common. They were doing things like studying what the apostles' teaching was together. They were, they were praying together. They were, they were gathering together for worship and they were gathering together for the Lord's Supper and, and, and they, were, they were doing all of that together as a family. And, and they took it even one step further. They cared for one another. Did you notice this? It, it said that they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So that, that doesn't mean they became communists and they just, you know, pooled all their resources together. Nobody owned any homes or anything anymore. They still had their own personal property and things like that. But, but when someone was in need, those of them that could afford it, you know, those that had the extra car, they, they, they sold it to pay and, and help the people that were struggling. That's a pretty radical way of taking care of one another. And, and then a couple chapters later, we get this really strange story in the book of Acts called the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Now, I want to, I just, I need to talk with you about this story for just a second because it, it can be really misunderstood if we're not careful. Now, here's, here's the story in a nutshell. Ananias and Sapphira sell a piece of land to do what we were just talking about, to, to help those in need in the church. And then they keep some of the money from themselves, which we're going to see in a minute was okay if they wanted to do that. But then they lie about it and they tell the other apostles that they're giving them all the money from the property that they just sold so that they would look good and God strikes them dead. I'm not kidding. That's what happens. What a story, okay? Now, now, a couple of things. First of all, it can become so easy to focus on the God strikes them dead part that you miss the really important part of the story. So we're not going to let that happen today. Um, I, I want you to just, you know, think about this. The Bible has a lot of daily ordinary stuff in it. And then the Bible has some extraordinary once in the life of the universe stuff in it that happens, right? 
because what I don't want you to walk away today thinking is God is sitting up in heaven with his finger hovering me over, over the strike him dead button. And if you do something wrong, God goes, yep, eh, and boom, that's, that's why people die. That is not how God behaves. Now, in this case, God did that. But this is one of those extraordinary, crazy stories that, uh, that someday in heaven, maybe God can explain to us a little about why he felt that was the, uh, the thing that was justified there. But he's God. I'm not. I'm going to trust him, right? But, but, I mean, the fact is it's actually the opposite. The way God normally treats people is he's, his finger is hovering over the blast button and he's just looking for opportunities and ways to bless you. That's how much he loves you. But in this particular story, God was trying to make a point, and, uh, and we want to take a look at what that point is together. So uh, in Acts 5, it says this, there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought the money to the, part of the money to the apostles and claimed it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, so she was in on it, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. And then he drops dead, Ananias does. Then by the way, his wife comes in, they carry his body out. His wife comes in later and they go, hey, uh, that property you guys sold, did you give us all the money? She's like, yeah, absolutely did. Boom, she drops dead too. And out she goes. Now, now so, so what's the point here? I think that there's two things that God wants us to learn from this story. And, and the first one is that, that God values openness and honesty. See, see, the point is not, the reason they dropped dead was not because they kept some of the money for themselves. N notice again what Peter said. He said the property was yours to sell or not sell. In other words, he says you didn't have to sell that property. No one told you in order to be a believer, you got to sell your property. No one said in order for God to love you, you got to go sell that property. He said, you didn't have to sell that property. He says, and then after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. Peter's saying, no one told you you had to give it all to us. If you had come and said, hey, we sold this property, here's half of the proceeds, we would have said, bless you. That's awesome. Thank you. See, the problem wasn't that Ananias and Sapphira lied. The problem is they weren't open and honest. Now, there's lots of reasons why we do that, right? There's lots of reasons why we aren't open and honest. And, and by the way, we, we, we find all different ways to justify it. We say, well, it's just a little white lie. It's a lie, right? Or, or, or we say things like, um, well, yeah, I didn't lie. I just didn't share the whole truth. Still being dishonest. And, and God values openness and honesty Letting ourselves be known, letting, letting the good things about us be known, and letting our failures be known. I mean, I, I don't know why exactly they lied and said they were giving all the money, but I have a guess, and that is that they wanted to look good. You know, it's, it's like the person that says, I tithe at church. Yep, I tithe. Get first 10% right off the top. And, and, and they really don't. So God values openness and honesty, but here's the second thing God values or the second thing that we can learn from the story, it's that we can't separate our relationship with God from our relationship with others. Now, again, did you notice what Peter said? 
He said to Ananias, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, if I were Ananias, I might have said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I didn't lie to the Holy Spirit. I lied to you. But Peter says you can't, you can't separate those. In fact, he says at the end, you, you may think that you were lying to us, but you were lying to God. You see, in God's family, there's, you can't separate your relationship from God from your relationship with one another. And unfortunately, I think this is the great sin of American Christianity. We have this kind of independent spirit in our lives. Um, <laughs> I'll give you one example. Um, came home last night, opened the basement door to go down the basement. I heard this, like, what is that? I looked down the bottom of the stairs. There's water running across the bottom of our stairs. Our water heater had become a fountain in the basement. I didn't know we had a water feature in our basement, right? It's just spraying out the top, running down the sides, all over the floor, right? Now, what I should do is call a plumber, pay a little extra because it's Sunday afternoon today. By the way, I did take a shower today. It was cold, but I did, right? I should call, call a plumber, you know, have him come, pay the extra because it's Sunday, get it done, right? No, 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 no. There's a water heater waiting for me at Home Depot. I'm going to do it myself because I'm an American, right? I'm a man. I'm independent. I can do this. Although I do have a plumber on speed dial just in case, right? But seriously, though, we have that sense of independence, and, and it, it trickles over into our Christianity. I cannot tell you how many times I've talked with somebody, and I've said, well, let's talk about your giving, and they went, whoa, 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 that's none of your business, that's between me and God. Or I've said to someone, well, you know, hey, let's, let's talk about your, your church attendance, whoa, whoa, I'm not checking in on that app. You don't need to know how many times I'm going to church. That's between me and God. But God says, no. The church is a family. We have everything together in common. We need people that know. We use this quote during our Messy Grace series, and it's just, it's become one of my favorite quotes of all from Pastor Tim Keller. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. So in other words, if you show up here for church on Sunday and, and you feel loved, but you walk out going, yeah, but there's a lot they don't know about me. That's fine. It's comforting, but it only goes so far, right? But to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. In other words, if you showed up here on Sunday morning, we went, whoa, 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 you? You tried to change your own water heater. Get out of here. <laughs> no, but... But seriously, that's our fear, right? That people are going to know stuff about us and as a result not love us? He says, but to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. That's how God loves us. He knows us fully. There's nothing we can hide from him. And yet he still loves us. And so what's our church like if we are a place where you can be fully known, your faults, your failings, the places in your life where you've got a lot of growing to do, you can, you can be fully known 
and still be truly loved. That's what church is. And that's why accountability is necessary because without accountability, there's no fully known. We'll always hide. Now, I want to just tell you real quickly two really practical ways that you can put this into practice in your life and how I'm putting it in practice in my life. First of all, this is my friend Mark Zender. Uh, now, by the way, that picture on the left, we took this because we both just happened to show up for golf one morning dressed like that, right? <laughs> this was not a plan, right? I almost went to the pro shop to buy a new shirt just because I'm like, no, we're not doing this. I'm not dressing like you all day today, right? Um, and, uh, but, but that's my buddy Mark. Mark is a pastor uh, at King of Kings in Omaha. And about three years ago, Mark and I were on a golf trip and we were talking and, and I, it, Mark and I, we, we came to this conclusion. We needed, we needed an accountability partner in our lives. And, and so here's what we do. Every Thursday morning, uh, we get on Zoom together and, uh, and we were doing this before COVID, right? We were Zooming. And uh, we, we, every Thursday morning, we get on Zoom together for about an hour, and about half that time we pray together. But, but the first half hour of that time, we talk about the stuff in our life where we need to be held accountable. And, and we, have, we, have, we have two rules that are really kind of two sides of the same rule. The first part of it is we can ask each other anything. And the second part of that is, and the answer will always be the truth. We will never lie to each other. So, uh, so Mark can say to me, I, I know you've been working on your weight, and I, and I know that this was kind of a hectic week. How many times did you go to McDonald's? And, and I'm going to tell him the truth. And he's still going to love me. But he's going to know what he can pray for me about that next week, right? And, and the same thing, I can, I can ask Mark, did you stop cheating at golf yet? No, he doesn't cheat. <laughs> I told him I was going to say that today, by the way. No, I mean, I, can, I, I know where Mark's pain points are right now, and they're personal. I'm not going to share them with you guys necessarily, but, but I know where they are, and I can say, Mark, how did that go this week? Or, or either one of us, you could say, you, you, you had to have a tough conversation with somebody this week. Did you have it? How did it go? We can ask each other anything, and we promise that we're going to be honest with each other and, uh, and, and be there for one another, and that's how we hold each other accountable. And, and, and the second way that I have accountability in my life is with our small group. This is our small group from Trinity. This was, this was our Christmas party this past year because of, you know, COVID, right? This is how we had to do it. Normally we go off, we, normally we take kind of December off our, our study meetings and we just, we go out to dinner together one time to celebrate, but so we had to do it uh, this way. But, but being in a small group is an amazing way for some accountability in your life. Again, it's a chance to be fully known and know that you are truly loved. People in our small group know stuff about Betty and I that, that nobody else in church knows. And it's okay. There's somebody that knows us. And there's somebody that loves us. And, and that's powerful. It's powerful to do life like that. So here's, here's my question for you. Where's the accountability in your life? Are you in a small group? If not, please get in a small group. It's a little frightening. I get it. But our groups here at Trinity, we, we, we train our leaders. We, we work hard so that they know how to create a sense of community and openness so you can be fully known and truly loved. 
And, and I would challenge you that, that, that as great as it is to be in a small group, I, I don't know that that's, that's going to get you the whole way there for accountability. Having an accountability partner, one other person that you can be together with regularly where you can ask those questions, you can, say, you can ask me anything, and I'm going to be totally honest with you. It's so important. It's been such a huge blessing in my life. You know, um, Greg Landry, the famous coach, um, used to say this. He said, coaching is about helping people do what they don't want to do so that they can be what they want to be. And, uh, and the reality is, in my life, I want to be like Jesus more than anything else. That's why I'm a part of this church family. That's why our mission as a church family is to help people look, live, and love more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. The more I read about him, the more I, I study his life, the, the more I'm like, I, I want to be like that. I want to be patient and kind and loving and wise and, and, um, and self-sacrificial. And I, I want to be like Jesus. But I know I'm going to have to do stuff that I don't necessarily want to do because I'm a naturally selfish, sinful human being and so are you. I'm going to have to do stuff I don't necessarily want to do so I can be what I want to be. And I know I cannot do that alone. I will eat that marshmallow seconds after you leave the room without help. And that's why our church family is what it is. It's a, it's a place where you can be fully known and truly loved, where we can hold one another accountable. And when that tide rises we all rise together. Would you bow your heads and would you pray with me? Lord God, um, thank you for this strange story in your word. Um, because in, in that story, we learn that you're a God that, that does value being open and honest. And, and more importantly, we learn that you're a God that, that tells us that it's not just about our relationship with you, but with one another too. And if we lie to one another, it's like we're lying to you. And if we're open and honest with one another, we're being open and honest with you. Lord, you know our hearts. You, you know when we fail. But you also love us dearly. And, and you were willing to be held accountable for our failures, which I will never understand, but I am so thankful for. Lord, thank you for that love. Thank you for your grace. Help our church be a place where people can be fully known and truly loved. And uh, Lord, help us, help us be an open book so that we can be more like you and, and let it be your love that rules everything we do. In your name we pray. Amen.